Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad that you've joined us this morning as we study the Bible with you and answer your questions. And that's what we do on Know Your Bible. You'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us, and you direct this program. You tell us what you'd like us to talk about, uh, anything that's on your mind about the Bible. Today we've got some history questions and some doctrinal questions and some moral questions about life. So uh, we get all kinds of questions that we try to find a Bible answer for. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Toby Levering's here. Good morning, Toby. Hello, Steve. And we are ready to answer some questions today. Uh, we always start with one for our viewers. So you get the first one today, and here it is, a multiple <coughs> choice. Solomon's drinking vessels in his palace. They were pretty special. Uh, were they made of ivory, silver, or gold? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the question. What were uh, Solomon's glasses made out of? <laughs> All right, Toby, looks like you got the first one. So a little morality question yes, here. Yep, it's having an affair, a mortal sin. Okay, well... Uh, before I answer the question, there are some people who believe there are different levels of sin, mortal sins and venial sins. And, uh, some can be uh, uh, worked through and others cannot. And the, you need to know in terms of a designation of a mortal sin and a venial sin, that's not a biblical designation. So uh, your question is, uh, is uh, having an affair uh, a mortal sin? I would say it's a sin. Sexual adultery, infidelity uh, is a sin, uh, but uh, as all sin, sin can be forgiven. Now, there may be some more consequences with having an affair. Uh, someone to do that may lose their marriage. They may uh, suffer uh, all sorts of dysfunction in their family. There may be a, a, a ter very sad sequence of events that happens. There, there may be many more uh, consequences from the result of that sin, uh, but it's no more or less forgivable than any other sin. So um, we are told in in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, this verse will be on the screen, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. It's very clear that God intends uh, for husbands and wives to remain faithful to one another uh, and certainly within the marriage bed. And so if you're married, uh, you, you protect that, uh, you honor that, and uh, you make sure that you uh, do whatever it takes to uh, keep it pure and undefiled. 
Uh, now, that being said, if I'm speaking to someone who has had an affair, has been unfaithful, has been an adulterer, uh, there is a verse uh, of Scripture for of hope for you. Uh, the Apostle Paul spoke to and wrote to a church that was full of people who had lots of sins, and there were lots of consequences from those sins, and they were impacting the church. And Paul writes this, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's First First Corinthians 6, 9. But then he says this, verse 11, That is what some of you were, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So uh, having an affair is a sin. It is a sin in God's eyes, uh, but it can be forgiven through Jesus as all sin can. I hope that helps you. All right. Got a uh, question I cannot get wrong here because it says, do you think a Christian should totally abstain from alcohol. So all I got to do is tell you what I think, and I, I can't be wrong on that one, but uh, I'll try to answer it from a biblical perspective anyway. Uh, do I think a Christian uh, should totally abstain from alcohol? Well, from the Bible, obviously, I can't say that. That is not mandatory uh, in the Bible. It's not commanded. Uh, Jesus himself made wine for a party. Uh, Jesus no doubt drank wine, and I'm sure that uh, you get into a study of biblical wines and all of that. Uh, their wine was different than ours. I think it was a lot closer to grape juice than uh, what we consider wine or whiskey or any of that today. Uh, but still, there was some alcoholic content, I'm sure. Uh, the less alcoholic content they had, the, the better the wine was. But uh, I'm sure there was some alcoholic content. So Jesus not only made it, but I'm sure he drank it. And, of course, Paul had a very clear statement to Timothy. Let's read that in 1 Timothy 5.23. Uh, Timothy had some stomach problems of some sort, uh, maybe due to the bad water they had back then. And so Paul told him, no longer drink only water. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh, now, it's an interesting side thought that if Paul had to tell Timothy that, uh, maybe Timothy was trying to totally abstain uh, from alcohol because he thought that was the best thing to do. And Paul told him, no, go ahead, it's good for your stomach, take a little wine. So, having said those things, it's obviously not mandatory in the Bible that we totally abstain from alcohol. A couple other factors. Uh, I think it is safest to totally abstain from alcohol because the Bible not only mentions drinking wine, but it has a whole lot about warnings about wine and alcohol. Let's read just one of them in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, the writer of Proverbs said, Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Uh, you don't have to read a proverb to understand that. You just look around us at the world, and a lot of people have been deceived, have been brought down, have been broken, have been ruined uh, by alcohol. 
they started out thinking there was nothing wrong with it, uh, just a little bit's fine and all that, but they were captured by it and destroyed. So the Bible warns about alcohol. So totally abstaining is obviously the safest thing. You, you can't succumb to alcohol addiction if you uh, don't drink alcohol. Uh, third thing I'll say, besides what the Bible says and just the safety of it, the danger of alcohol, is Christians need to consider our influence. So I think that's what this comes down to, should a Christian totally abstain. I think it depends a lot on the culture, uh, where we are, and we're not in Jesus' day. Uh, we're in 21st century uh, America, uh, where drinking is still uh, considered all right, but what do people say when they want to describe somebody that's really upright and righteous and a good person? Uh, they say, well, he doesn't smoke or drink or cuss or anything. Okay, So there's still that perception. Uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. Uh, if you walked into a restaurant and Toby and I were sitting over at a table having lunch and both of us had a beer in front of us, uh, would that make you think something different? Would you wonder about that? Uh, probably so. You'd think, well, they're preacher types on TV. They probably shouldn't be drinking beer in public. Okay. That's what I'm saying about influence. Uh, I'm not saying the Bible says we can't take a taste of alcohol. Uh, if we did, we couldn't have NyQuil. But uh, the alcohol can be taken in some amount somewhere. But the influence of a Christian needs to be considered. Uh, Christians choose between not just right and wrong. Uh, we choose between better and best. So... Uh, the question was, do I think Christians should totally abstain from alcohol in the culture that we live in to be the best influence possible and be the safest uh, example for our families and everything else? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. But I can't say that the Bible commands us to. So that's what I think is what the question answered, <laughs> asked. Okay. <laughs> All right, Toby. Well, I say you answered that 100% correct. You, right. you gave what you thought. Got it right. <laughs> okay. Uh, the question, next question is, what does begotten mean? Begotten is uh, definitely an archaic word. We don't use it a lot in modern English. My guess is uh, someone read this from the King James Version uh, translation, which was uh, translated in 1611. And so, obviously, we had a lot of changes in the language over time. The, the strict definition... Uh, is there's a couple ways to take it, but in in scripture it means to give rise to, to bring into existence. So when you see a a list of so and so begat so and so begat so and so, it's just really giving a genealogy. Uh, basically, uh, this person fathered this person, and they fathered this person. It's just simply giving the family <coughs> tree. Um, and so when when we think of uh, this and the begats, you're simply looking at. Uh, who gave birth to who and uh, who belonged to who. And that's important, not so much for us uh, in the modern world and not as much for, for Gentiles, but for, in the Jewish culture, uh, they were supposed to be able to trace their genealogy all the way back to Abraham. And so they kept meticulous records, which is good. And we, of course, know from the story of, or from the 
first chapter of Matthew, uh, as we see the entire genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, uh, we see a synopsis of the story and how God brought forth, uh, to, brought Christ into existence uh, in the flesh. And that's what begotten means, to give rise to, to bring into existence. Um, let's look at a couple of uh, scriptures on the screen, John chapter 3, 16. I gave them to you in both translations here, so <clears throat> kind of help us understand a little bit, which is always helpful if you don't understand a word. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, New International Version translates this as, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So simply means to give rise to, to bring into existence. In this translation, uh, in, the, in John chapter 3, verse 16, uh, uh, John is making it clear that Jesus, the only person... Uh, uh, Jesus was brought into existence by the Father, uh, not a human Father, but by the Father, and that's uh, what he's trying to say. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that's how begotten is used with the genealogy of Jesus. He had a physical genealogy, also had a spiritual one, uh, brought into existence through the Father. So there's what begotten means. Hope that helps you. All right. Let's talk about a way to study the Bible. And we like to study the Bible here by answering a few of your questions. But we also think Bible study, sitting down with your Bible and reading it and trying to understand it is good for us. And that's why we've come up with some tools that we think are uh, real helpful in that. Here's a set of lessons that we'll happily send you in the mail. We'll pay the postage and everything. Uh, and we've got eight different lessons that you can sit down and study through parts of the Bible with. Uh, here are some more advanced courses that we've got. Once you get through that introductory course, you can just keep on studying the Bible and uh, know a lot about your Bible when you get done with our Know Your Bible study tools. And uh, we've got some online courses that we have made available recently that a lot of people are enjoying and studying on their uh, phone or tablet. Uh, Oneway.worldbibleschool.org will get you fixed up with that and let you start studying the Bible on your own. And uh, you'll have a helper that will answer any of your questions that you have trouble with. And uh, just a great way to study the Bible. So any of those are available. There's a phone number and a website on the screen all the time. Use that anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us which course you'd like and we'll get you started and study the Bible. All right, interesting question here. A viewer wants to know, will Jesus be at the judgment to plead our case? Well, in a sense, yes. Uh, he's going to be the judge, actually. But uh, the Bible does talk about him being an advocate. So let's leave you a couple of verses about that. First John 2, verses 1 and 2 says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> he's presented as an advocate, a defender, a mediator, and all of that. Now, 
I think that work was done on the cross when he paid the atonement was the propitiation for our sins and enabled God to justify us and all of that. Uh, but uh, saying at the judgment that he's going to be there as our defense attorney uh, is a kind of interesting picture, but I, I don't think that's exactly how it's going to work. It's not going to be like uh, when he calls your name uh, that Jesus as Perry Mason or somebody steps up and starts defending you uh, and giving all the arguments that you ought to be saved and all that. Uh, it's not going to be a long, lengthy trial, I don't think. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty simple. Uh, I think when your name's called, Jesus is going to say, that one's mine. Uh, that's going to be the end of the argument. So, yes, he's an advocate. Yes, he's a mediator. Uh, all of that. Satan's called the accuser of the saints. Uh, so we get that legal picture in our mind. But uh, I think we're in Christ, uh, that's going to settle it and... Uh, our advocate will take care of that as the the judge also. So, yes, he's an advocate, but I don't think it's going to be a long, drawn-out trial like uh, some people maybe picture. All right. All right. Next question is uh, another interesting one. Why did Jesus not allow Mary to touch him after his resurrection? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting, curious part of scripture we uh, read about in the book of John and uh, after Jesus has been resurrected Mary sees him and and she wants to to hold on to him she wants to be with him which is of course very natural after she had seen him publicly crucified and uh, put into the the tomb and then to be here alive can you imagine how you would feel in such a moment Uh, no doubt Mary was uh, quite emotional and ecstatic and jubilant uh, at the the the, the idea <laughs> that her her beloved teacher, her beloved rabbi, was back. Um, the the answer really is we don't know. The scripture does not tell us precisely. My personal interpretation of this is that Jesus' work was not yet finished. He still had to appear to many witnesses so that they would know he did indeed fulfill the promise that he had made. See, if Jesus didn't rise from the tomb, uh, then he would have been a proven a false teacher because he said many, many times that he would rise on the third day. So if he uh, was not, did not fulfill that promise, he would have been a false teacher. And I believe he needed to appear to not only the apostles and all the disciples, but uh, many people so there would be no doubting. And then, of course, he was going to ascend and return to the Father. He had work yet to do, and I think Mary uh, wished that probably they could just return back to the way things were. And I think Jesus is essentially saying, look, things are different now, and uh, what we had was good. But what you're going toward is even better. That's my interpretation of it. Let's look at where this is found in John chapter 20. Look at the verse on the screen, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Uh, So that's my interpretation of it. Jesus had work to do. He had to appear to many more people, and he had to ascend back to the Father. And uh, that was going to launch the mission of the church. So hope that helps you. All righty. Viewers got a little history question here. How long before Jesus lived uh, were Adam and Eve born? 
Uh, well, let me make one slight correction. Technically, they weren't really born. They were created. Uh, they're kind of a unique couple. It was kind of an understatement. They, <laughs> they weren't born. But uh, when was that? What was that date? Well, I'll take this with a grain of salt, but it's October 23rd, 4004 B.C. Uh, now, some of you wonder, where in the world did he get that? Uh, that's not in the Bible. No, that's certainly not in the Bible. We aren't given a date. Now, that date that I gave you, 4004 B.C., was calculated uh, by a fellow named Usher, Bishop James Usher, uh, back in 1650. Went through the Old Testament and all of those genealogies that Toby was talking about a moment ago, all the begats, uh, it gives a lot of ages in there. It says so-and-so lived to 650 and then died and so and so lived to this and had a son. Uh, so Bishop Usher went through and added all those up. He calculated as best he could and what he came up with was Adam was created in 4004 B.C. Now the trouble with that is the biblical genealogies have got some gaps in them. It's not all totally complete uh, they didn't list every generation necessarily, and some of it's a little hard to calculate, but Bishop Usher did the best he could, and that's what he came up with. Some Bibles even have Usher dates in them. Uh, if some older Bibles will have a chart or some a listing of those or maybe mention it in the footnotes. Uh, that's a calculation that's not necessarily exactly accurate. So... Uh, we don't know exactly how long before Jesus, Adam and Eve lived, but that's a good guess, maybe. Okay, let me show you one chart on the screen. This is interesting. Uh, here's a chart that shows Adam and Eve, 4004 B.C., and then their children, Cain and Abel and Seth and all that. This is the very start of an amazing chart called Adam's Synchronological Chart. And I found it on the internet when I was looking for Usher. And this thing's 23 feet long and gives the whole history of the world, starting with Adam and Eve and going through the United States presidents uh, up to 1871. That's when this guy named Adams drew this chart. Uh, it's an amazing piece of artwork. And he's got world history. He's got all the kings, all the Caesars, all the everybody uh, for 6,000 years. So, uh, interesting chart, but I just thought I'd show you that because it says there, it uses Usher's date and says everything started 4,004 years before Christ. But, like I said, that's not necessarily accurate, um, but you can use it if you want. <laughs> All right, let me take this moment and invite you to uh, visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program's prepared by the Churches of Christ, put on the air by them, and supported by them. And this one in Burlington, Iowa, up in our uh, Iowa-Illinois market, if you're watching out of the Rock Island station, uh, this is the church that helps take care of things up there, uh, monitors what's going on, and uh, grades the courses that come in. So a great bunch of folks there in the Burlington Church of Christ. Uh, David Baker's a minister there, fine fellow. If you uh, want to hear some gospel preach, stop in and visit the Burlington Church of Christ. If you, you live in that town or close to it, 
I know somebody that attends the Burlington Church of Christ, tell them, hey, I saw you on uh, Know Your Bible the other day. I watched that program, and I enjoy it. Thanks for keeping it on the air, and add your thanks to ours. Uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, you'll find some folks that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program. So give them a visit if you're looking for a church home. All right, tell me what you got. We've got another timeline question today. Uh, when did Jesus die? Well, I appreciate your accuracy about Adam and Eve, so let me give, you, give my uh, when. Uh, Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33 at 3 p.m. <laughs> Is, uh, is, is one theory. It's accurate. <laughs> um, so, the, first of all, at the outset, so you know, Scripture is far more concerned with why Jesus died than when Jesus died. There's, uh, we ha may have some debates about exactly what day, when, what time of the year, and so forth. But uh, that it happened is the key point. And that's probably why Scripture doesn't give us those precise details. Now, uh, people who are very intelligent have kind of uh, done some digging, put some Scriptures together, and here's how they came about that verse um, the year, uh, they, they narrow it somewhere between A.D. 30 and A.D. 36 because they can look historically when certain rulers reign, like Pontius Pilate and others and Herod. Um, then that, how do they come to the month? Well, uh, somewhere around March or April would have been Passover. We know that Jesus celebrated the Passover right before he died. Uh, the day, well, it was the day of preparation day, which was the, the day the Jews got ready for the Sabbath. So most people believe it was Friday. There are some theories about Wednesday and Thursday, but uh, generally speaking, people uh, say that it was on Friday. Um, and uh, the hour, of course, that's probably the thing that Scripture does say. Uh, it says it was the ninth hour, which the Jewish, the way they kept time, uh, would, about would have been about three in the afternoon. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 gives us that detail. So you put all those things together, and some people have said, hey, Friday, <laughs> April 3rd, A.D. 33 at 3 p.m. Well, maybe so. I mean, it's possible. Uh, but the truth is we really don't know the precise uh, year, month, day, uh, about the only thing we know precisely is the hour uh, because of the details given by the gospel writers. So let's look at Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 34, 37. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. So that's about all Scripture says in terms of the when Jesus died. But remember, the most important thing is why he died. Hope that helps you. All right. I've got time for a quick one here. Where does it ever say Samson was a judge? Well, read the book of Judges. And what it says is after Joshua died and the country was kind of in a mess, Judges 2.16 uh, says, then the Lord raised up judges. And so that's what the book of Judges is, is a list of all the judges. And you get over in Judges chapter 13, and it starts telling about Samson being a judge. And it says, Samson judged Israel for 20 years. So he was a judge of Israel. He was a 
good and bad fellow, but we don't have time to study all that. Let's get our trivia question answered for the day before we quit. And the question was, what are the drinking vessels in Solomon's palace made out of, ivory, silver, or gold? And they were gold. Silver was so prevalent they didn't even mess with it. First Kings 10.21, gold. We're glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week and study some more questions with us. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.